COVID was, I mean, if we're talking about financial struggles, that was the biggest one and hopefully will be the biggest one that we have ever. So that was basically a year and a half of basically no income. I mean, 2020 was, I profited 700 pounds. It was still basically broke even because I was still trying to like give my team work. Everyone's freelance, but I was still trying to give them work. I was trying to do pivots and see if there's anything we could try to do in the meantime. Obviously didn't know how long that was going to last. This is Jessica Dante. She has been able to turn her YouTube channel dedicated to planning and navigating your perfect trip to London into over 300,000 pounds in annual revenue. Jessica's journey as a creator has had some bumps in the road thanks to COVID and some bad brand partnerships, but she's found resilience to building an active email list from very early on, giving away information via free digital downloads to her viewers. She's been able to grow her list organically, all thanks to her YouTube channel and her unique perspective as a creator is to use her list to fuel her income, not just her videos. In this episode, we are going to discuss how her move to London over 10 years ago fueled her desire to start a YouTube channel. Her mantra that she and her team live by about making money, her formula for bingeable videos, what she does uniquely with sponsorship and affiliate deals, the very big difference between promoting and launching for one of her clients, and what her next expansion move is going to be. Jessica packs everything that you need to go on a money-making trip of a lifetime, thanks to her knowledge and guidance. Becoming a full-time YouTuber is the dream, but how can you financially get there? Welcome to The Funded YouTuber, where we sit down with successful YouTubers to dive headfirst into the money-making side of being a full-time YouTuber and creator. We will be breaking down their paths of full-time income, sharing struggles, exposing their victories, and literally mapping out their income streams, how they got them, and what they are working on next. The Funded YouTuber is brought to you by Gigastar. Inspired by YouTubers like you, with the vision to fuel human creativity, Gigastar brings creators and investors together. I am very excited to talk with you today, Jessica, because you and I are going to go on a fun adventure that's going to be very different than I think a lot of people expect when it comes to being a YouTuber because you have a very unique journey and way that you make money and I can't wait to dive into it. Thanks for having me. I can't wait either. First things first, else, what is it that you create on the internet? I have a brand that's called Love and London and we create content for people who are coming to visit London. So that could be YouTube videos about how to take the tube, a 101 guide, or TikTok videos about cool restaurants to go to, an Instagram reel that says you've been calling this bridge London Bridge, and that's not actually London Bridge. So this is what you need to know, and here's the right way to do it. So we are basically a, kind of like a small media brand that covers content for London tourists. I've been the face of it for the last eight years or so, and we are now expanding into having other hosts on the channels and we're also launching love in paris so we're expanding to our second city this year so that is it all very much in a nutshell that's amazing and i'm so excited about that for you we'll get into like how that financial journey allowed for you to get that to that point what is it that got you started on youtube since I was a kid, wanted to run my own business. I always wanted to be the person who was in charge. And I also very much am fueled by the fact that if something goes wrong, it's my fault because I'm the boss. And if something goes well, it's also on me because I'm the boss. So I've always wanted to, to do my own thing. And when I first moved over here 10 years ago to London, I was working in social media and I was like, all right, I got to start my own thing. I don't have any money. How can I do this without having to get funding? So I had already been in social media. I had started dabbling with YouTube, was watch watching a lot of content. So I was like, you know what? Let me start making YouTube videos. And I made a bunch of them about travel because I love to travel. 
but I did a couple that were specifically about London and one of them took off really fast, even though I had like no subscribers. So I was like, okay, this is interesting. This is a great way to do travel content without having to actually travel, which is a much better business model anyway. So yeah, that was about eight years ago now. And I started learning how to create YouTube content and how to make a good video and how to work with the algorithm. And then about two and a half years in, I was making enough money that I could stop freelancing. And I had gone into freelancing at that point and just focus on the business. And here we are today. Now I'm with a team of 14 and growing. We're hiring five more people right now and expanding into another city, like I said. When did you realize that YouTube could be an income source for you? Like what was your first taste of income that you got? The first true taste was a little bit of AdSense, which I think everyone who's made YouTube content can remember that first month when they're like, oh my God, I actually got some money from these videos I've been making usually like six months down the line. Um, but I think like the real turning point for me where I realized what the business could be and that it could be something maybe beyond just the traditional influencer quote unquote model was when I created a digital guide for London. It was, we don't sell it anymore, but it was called the local guide to London. And it was basically a PDF, a very simple PDF guide with my favorite places in London. And it came with a digital map. And considering the amount of followers I had at that time, it actually sold pretty well. I mean, I look at it compared to what I, what we do now and it was small fry, but it really showed me that actually I don't have to rely on brands to pay me proper money to be able to make this business work. And, and also a more reliable revenue stream would be to sell our own digital products. My, and at the time it was just me, my own digital products to what was quite a small audience at that time, but it was still bringing in revenue. So that was quite a big turning point for me. And from basically from that day, I've always said to myself and said to my team, you know, selling our own stuff is always going to be the priority. We never want to be relying on brands to be able to keep this business going. And it's proved to work really well for us. When did you create your first digital product? Was it in that first two years or was it after? It was that first two years. Yes. So I want to say like a year in is probably when I was, when I created it and what I did pretty early on, which I'm so glad that I did. I wish I would have done it even earlier, but it's, you know, you live and you learn, but is I started collecting emails from my viewers. So I do remember the first video that I had a lead magnet in. And I woke up the next morning after I published this first video and the video only had, I think like 250 views. And I already had something like a hundred email subscribers. I had signed up for that freebie and I was like, whoa, okay, that's interesting. And obviously, you know, I had been listening to a lot of podcasts and learning a lot about email marketing. And of course, all these people, as they still, as we still talk about today, say that email is so powerful, especially because if you're building your business on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, you know, as they say, that is rented land. You know, we have 400,000 followers on Instagram. That account could be shut down tomorrow. So that's why we're always trying to get people onto the email list. And back then it showed me that if I could get my most loyal followers and most interested viewers onto email, then I could start selling to them eventually um, and also build up a really good rapport with them basically. So yeah, it was, it was pretty early on. And if I had just waited to, until brands would start to pay me proper money, it would have taken way longer to be able to go full-time with it and to, you know, build it up as, as much as I have. I couldn't agree with you more. I tell people all the time, no matter what you're doing, like, I know that everyone always 
obsesses over the big three of AdSense sponsorships and affiliates. But man, people don't realize like how powerful being able to, how easy it is to create a digital product and how powerful that can be. I really believe there's not a, a channel out there that shouldn't, that doesn't have a digital product in them that they could give or share and grow. And growing an email list is, you know, exactly what you said. It's owning your audience in a way that none of the other platforms let you do. And I think that there's such a really big aversion to that in this, in, in our space, because everyone's like, you can't take people off of YouTube. And it's like, yeah, but you could, YouTube could stop putting me in front of people at any moment. And without that email list, it's just not gonna, it's just not gonna keep working. Yeah. So you had said that you had created this digital product a year into your business to market to your small audience. I have a lot of suspicions and I think they're pretty right about like how your audience works. Now, according to like where everyone in like the guru education space when it comes to YouTube is, is they say you need to be on browse. Like you need to show up in browse and that's how you're going to be discovered. That's how you're going to grow. When you look at your analytics, your number one place that people should be coming to you should be from browse. And as someone who is a more education channel, someone that's more as like a I need you now, but I'm not going to need you forever channel. How have you been able to grow and combat that roadblock? Majority of our traffic still is from browse, but we also get a lot from suggested videos and from subscriptions, of course, but from search too. So a lot of people find us from YouTube search, but actually also Google search. So I'll, there's quite a few of our like big videos that show up in Google search as well. So it directs them over to YouTube. But yeah, I mean, we have videos that are very old that people are still finding through search and that are very like about quite specific, pretty broad in the grand scheme of things, but like specific elements of a when you're planning a trip to London. So that's quite big for us. We also sometimes promote the videos in our email newsletter and we have 50,000 people on our list now, but it's not actually, it's not a huge part of our strategy. It is, everything is all on platform for us, but yeah, it's like, you know, browse is really good. I, but suggested and like always pointing people at the end of the video, go watch this one. We have this one, we have this video, make sure you watch this. And we have people all the time who are messaging us. Someone just on Instagram earlier was like, my husband and I were up till 3am watching all your videos as we're trying to plan our trip in February. And oh my God, there's just so much. And we, you know, I've binge watched you and, and this and that. So, and we do kind of try to make videos also that are, will be a bit like intertwined. And there's always something that we're, we've over 350 long form videos now, especially so. I'll be in a new video and I'll be like, we do have a video where we already have talked about this in great detail. So make sure you watch that next. And then we always put the links and the cards and everything. So that really helps too. How much of your traffic and your audience is repeat? Oh, that's a good question. I would have to take a look, to be honest. When we look at our back end of our YouTube channel and we look at our studio, we have like our audience and we can see like those two lines, the purple line and the blue line. And everyone, again, all the gurus, like you need to have them intersecting. They need to be weaving in and out of each other. But I have, I know for me as more of a search problem solving sort of a channel, it does a big gap. There's a real big gap <laughs> where a lot of other people are coming back, not because I'm not full of flair and personality and helpful information. It's just sometimes they just don't need it. Or sometimes they just needed one hit. Like I need to figure out how to do this one thing. And then once I've got my information, I bounce. Like 
that has just as much value as someone who watches all the time and comes back because they're getting on my email list, they're watching the videos and they're supporting the sponsors and all that kind of stuff. So it, it for me, it helps. What is that like for you? Is it similar? Because again, you have, I, I think that you made the analogy off camera about how travel is kind of like a wedding as something that you do once and then you, you move on. And so it doesn't keep coming back often. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd have to have a look to give you, because I have looked at that stat before, but it's been a while, so I can't actually remember. It's probably a little bit more similar to yours that, but I do think most people will, if I had to give an educated guess, most people will see one video and then they'll keep going because we do reference so many other videos. And also with this huge library that we have, there's always like something that I think YouTube is going to suggest to them to watch next somewhere. So it's kind of hard to miss us if I'm honest, which is good because it means we're all we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. But yeah, I think that's where getting people onto the email list again is such an important thing for us. Because even if they only watch that one video, if we get them on the email list, golden, that's all we need. We like I'm not that you know, obviously I would love for them to keep watching because we do have sponsors that want to have views and, you know, it does help us in the long run, but it's it, way more valuable for them to be on the email list. And then we're sending them our weekly newsletter. We're sending them when we're doing all of our sales, our, our launches, this and that. And the majority of our sales come through email. So that's more valuable to me, which is why our call to actions at the end of the videos We'll tell them to watch other videos, like I said, but also if we don't have a sponsor in a video, we always, the main call to action for us is to get one of our free products. Occasionally we'll talk about one of our paid ones, but usually it's, we have this free guide. If you have never been to London before, sign up for a one-on-one guide. It has everything you need to know before you come to London. Click the link in the description box to get it. I've said it 9 million times. So I like could dream that and say it in my sleep, but that's, that's always going to be more valuable. We never say like, we're never saying subscribe. I do not care about subscribers at all. It's, I mean, I ha keep an eye on it, obviously, and talk about it sometimes, but it's never the the mechanism we want people to be doing. Such a such a salty and different take on this. I, again, I agree with a lot of that what you're what you're saying, and I've loved a lot of what you're saying. When you talk about YouTubers, validation that people want, it all comes from like that number, like how many followers do you have? How many views do you have? But no one is asking the question, like what, how much money are you making? When I'm able to tell people that I make almost $200,000 a year and I have less than 40,000 subscribers, they double take me like a Wile E. Coyote, like, like cartoon. And it's those kind of things. It's like, guys, like your perception of how YouTube works, how income works is so wrong because you're listening to this specific segment that isn't about the business of YouTube, the money of YouTube. It's just the creator making videos to be YouTube famous of YouTube. And I think that it's just a really missed thing. And I'd be really curious to know what your thoughts are on how creators should be structuring what they're doing so that they can have a path for income as soon as possible. Yeah. I mean, the number one thing is, again, I'm going to hammer it till the day I die. The, the email list, get people on an email list, create one great relevant lead magnet that you can talk about in every video that you make for the next 10 years. And 
get them on that list because then eventually, even if you don't have anything to sell at the moment or you're not really sure what direction you want to go to, you've got that list and it's generating and building in the background without you having to worry about it. And then you can decide what you want to do from there. But that's the number, like number one thing from, if I started a channel right now, that's still my, the, every single video will have an email lead magnet in it. But I also think, you know, when I was first starting out, I just basically was looking around for examples of how people are monetizing beyond the traditional three avenues, like you said. And I just did like loads of research. I was looking at, I was watching videos of people who were talking about how they're doing different types of monetization, but I was also just looking at creators that I liked and seeing, are they doing anything besides the sponsorships and looking at their products they offered and merchandise and if they were offering like tours or whatever kind of services, you know, social media consulting, graphic design, this and that. And I was just kind of pulling inspiration to see what could we do that would work for the travel sector that I could also realistically create. And I don't know, I think just getting, just thinking outside of the box, just like you were running an, a, a brick and mortar business or some kind of business that wasn't as like tied to YouTube how would you monetize that versus, and like, let's pretend that you are maybe doing it the flip way where you had the business before you started the YouTube channel. What would, what would you start with for this audience? I think that's probably a good way to look at it. Yeah. While you're talking, I just pulled up my convert kit. My, my opt-in that I always talk about, no matter what people do is content planning worksheet. Like no matter what you're doing with social media, you got to have a plan and it has to support something. So go grab my free content planning worksheet because it's going to give you your reusable guide. You can use over and over again, no matter what you're doing to make sure what you're doing is working. Right. And I, I actually have a plan on my, on my calendar for to do to update it too, for, for keeping it relevant and fresh. But it's just, it really is finding that thing that can bring people in continuously. I've had a really slow couple of months and things like that. And I just pulled up my convert kit to look and see like where I'm at emails. I still have gotten over a hundred new emails on my list over the month with very minimal work. And I can contact them and send them my digital products to buy or offer coaching or services and all, or share the different things that I'm doing and have them open my videos for me because they're maybe they're not doing great with views. It's just something people don't think about because it's so marketing-y and people don't want to be marketers. They want to be creators. And it's just, it's frustrating. <laughs> I know. I know. I mean, I, I like, I, I kind of get it. There's so much glamour that shows the creator side of it, right? But not as much about the other end of it and the back end, the behind the scenes. You know, I always think like, I'm trying to do more on my personal personal business Instagram account. I'm like, oh, I could do like a day in the life of a business owner. I'm like, I just sit at the laptop most days for eight hours straight. <laughs> it's not very interesting. It's, you know, occasionally we go out and shoot and that's cool. And that's, fun unless it's freezing and we're getting kicked out of the place because they're saying we can't film there and then you know we're off schedule and the bus doesn't come so we're delayed an hour and stuff like that but you know it's it all looks very glamorous but the thing is I mean personally for me I actually very much prefer the business building aspect of it that's what really fuels me and it's just I um, I look at the the digital stuff as or the social media's part of it as content marketing versus that is like what we do and then we got to surround everything by it on the topic of money what has been a horrible money situation that you have had to deal with okay well so one of them last year at the we launched we tried to launch this thing called tours and experiences 
So the initial idea was we would be basically like a third party marketplace where we work with small independent tour operators in London and we kind of like resell their stuff under our name. So Love in London Tours and Experiences. And the truth was we, I put, I think like ultimately maybe like six grand into it and then my time obviously and the opportunity cost of my Danny who works for me her time as well but ultimately that didn't work we pivoted pretty quickly when we saw it wasn't working and we were going to start our own experiences and tours and that is I'm like I'm a digital gal I'm not a go speak to restaurateurs and try to make all these plans and work with them and blah 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 and try to hire tour guides in a city where it's very difficult to hire tour guides right now so that was a good amount that was a good chunk of money and a good chunk of time that ultimately we fully 100% scrapped but i would say you know to pull a learning from that that i actually we took tons of learnings from that so i'm not it I'm not that upset about it at all. I'm glad we tried it. Danny and I ended up going to a conference last year that was for tour operators. And even though we ended up not doing it, we actually made really good contacts there, which ended up in some sponsored work for us, which is fantastic. And also just met really nice people. And actually that conference, I just got confirmed today that I'm speaking at it this year. So that we, so that was really good because that's one thing I'm trying to do more of this year. Yeah, that was a really big one. And I mean, there's loads. A really quick one was I came back Back from my two weeks off a few days ago or early last week and realized I had messed up my, I was paying for advertising for a role for writer for Paris who will write like four articles a month, pretty small time role. And I messed up the, how I put the advert spend and I ended up spending 600, 650 pounds on that, which is like $800. And I'm like, we didn't need to spend that at all. We like need one person, which we definitely didn't need. We had so, I had wondered on LinkedIn, I was like, why are we, why am I getting so many messages of people wanting to do this right? writer thing 650 pounds on that one role not even the one that there was another one we were hiring for where we're hiring three people which that would have been fine actually but i was like oh love of god that was the first day back i see more like entrepreneurial struggles than like creator faux pas <laughs> yeah god yeah that's that's i'm sure there's lots i mean one time i mean it didn't end up costing anything at the end of the day but one time during covid we were trying all these pivots because covid was I mean, if we're talking about financial struggles, that was the biggest one and hopefully will be the biggest one that we have ever. So that was basically a year and a half of basically no income. I mean, 2020 was, I profited 700 pounds. It was so basically broke even because I was still trying to like give my team work. Everyone's freelance, but I was still trying to give them work. I was trying to do pivots and see if there's anything we could try to do in the meantime. We obviously didn't know how long that was going to last. So I didn't want to just kind of like, if I'd known it was going to be a year and a half, I probably would have taken... <laughs> quite a few months off, but we tried to do some like house tours in or flat tours in London. And we worked with this company, this estate agency, who ultimately very long story short, um, threatened to sue me. And they like brought the lawyer in for on this is all for we created videos for their current listings, free videos, I paid a team to create these videos that cost me probably like a grand to do including my time and then they were going to sue me about posting it was a whole thing and I was like 
And I was like, you, I literally wrote the email, you can sue me. I have nothing. So <laughs> I was like, it is COVID. I own a travel business. It sounds like nothing. they were desperate for income too. I know. Well, this was like, they're quite a luxury brand. So it was, they, they were, they're fine. But I was like, good, good luck. You sue me. I got nothing. So anyway, that was, that was a stressful, fun one too. Thankfully nothing came of that, but yeah, I think those are probably some of the the big ones. Yeah. COVID was an interesting turning point for a lot of creators that they're doing. Like there were some that blew up and some that just like had really hard struggles. I remember I talked with this guy, he did travel tours. It was like free travel tours by foot. And, and he was like, we're trying to figure this out. Like they ended up doing like the walking tours where they would just walk and record and people could like go without having to go kind of a thing. And it just people trying to get really creative and innovative what do you do in those situations when like that? I, oh, I don't know. This is kind of, for example, this is one of those situations where your income or your views and your attention just gets totally taken out of your hands. So what were, what were the things that you did to stay afloat through that time? Oh God. I mean, I don't, nothing truly successful. If I'm honest, we basically, I, I just happened to be very lucky that we were, everyone on my team was freelance. I had to let some people go. And then I was just trying to give people work when I could. Thankfully I was in a fine personal financial situation. I moved out of London at the time. So I basically was paying very little rent for most of it. Just kept my costs super low. And we, I mean, we put together when it first kicked off, I worked with a friend of mine who's an illustrator and we created a coloring book, a digital one. So that was pretty good, it, but it was, you know, there, you can't charge that much for it. So it was only, it gave, a, gave us a little bit, but it, it didn't, it wasn't anything major, especially compared to what we had done just before COVID had started. And then, yeah, we tried, like, like I said, those flat tours, we were doing that for a while, but they <laughs> didn't perform very well, if I'm honest, like, except a couple of the luxury ones, the ones from that company that was going to sue us did actually perform pretty well. And we did, I mean, I did a few lives of like, we did pub quizzes, London pub quizzes. So actually, I don't think we charged for those. We just did those for free. Yeah, that was it. And the problem was, I was also, like I said, I wasn't living in London most of the time during lockdowns, during any of the lockdowns, I wasn't in London. So I also couldn't go out and like do those tours because I know, yeah, I had seen a few, like my friend, Sarah, who does her, her channel, Sarah Funky, she had done those in New York because that's what she does very similar to what I do, but in New York. Um, and she said those were pretty good. She's also a professional tour guide and she did them with other professional tour guides. So she did really well with those, uh, but it just wasn't an option. So yeah, I don't have any, I don't have any like really good answers to that. If I'm honest, the good thing is, I mean, hopefully nothing of that scale is ever going to happen. So, you know, I can, we can weather ups and downs. Thankfully shouldn't be any downs like that again. Did you have like a nest egg that you had put in place, like in the savings or emergency fund that allowed for you to be able to, you know, eat and live and stuff still. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So reduced my cost significantly and then was able to just live off that. So that was fine. And like a little bit was trickling in. I also did some consulting on the side, like virtual consulting, um, for, specifically for one software company. And that honestly was such a lifesaver because that was, because that's separate from Love in London. So I did bring in some money from that. So that was really good. Thank goodness for that. But yeah, I was just happened to be quite lucky that. On a more positive note, what was your most, what has been your most successful financial moment? Ooh, okay. Well, probably one of them would be signing the contract for our biggest sponsorship 
ever. So that was really good. That was in 2022. That was big with a tech brand. So that was the, I remember thinking like, this is more money for not that much work, um, more money than I made in the first job that I ever took on in London, like the first full-time role. It's quite a lot more actually. So that was pretty cool. And that helped us to, it helped fund the tours and experiences. So that's also made that um, quote unquote failure feel less stressful. (laughs) And it was just really cool because it was kind of like the final straw of, okay, we're through COVID. This is good. Good things are happening and that will continue. So that was a really good one. And I think, I don't know if this is a moment, but we, so our best selling product is our line of itineraries for London. And this originally started, I created a three day itinerary about, I think it was about six years ago now, six or seven years ago. And that actually was the second digital product that I launched and it sold much better than the first one. And so I was like, cool, all right, let's dig into this. And that really helped me grow the business from that one product over the next like two or three, well, minus COVID, but three or four years. And then we managed to create a four day, a five day, a six day itinerary. And having all of those, they're really the lifeblood of the the business really, but of what we do in our shop by shop. And one of the unique things about that we do here on the podcast is we break down the income streams that you have in your business. So again, we have your biggest one being at 54.5%, which is your courses and digital products. How many courses and digital products do you currently have? So we have four different itineraries. We have five separate guides that are in a line that's called the casual tourist guide. So they're smaller than the itineraries and they're strictly hidden gems. No, none of the big sites like the itinerary has. And then we have three small mini guides. So there's a packing guide, a London spending guide, and also we still sell that London coloring book. So that's, yeah, I think that covers all of them. Next one that you have on your list is going to be sponsorships, which takes up 17.6%. How do your sponsorships work? Do you have like long-term sponsors? Are they individualized? Is it a little bit of both? Is it something totally different? Share with us what those are. So it's a mix. So in 2023, we had a mix of sponsors that will, that sponsored a few things either in either one campaign or they did two to three pieces, and then it was worked well. And then they bought some more in another campaign a couple months later. Um, we also had some one-off. So we, especially like YouTube adverts or yeah, YouTube adverts. We did a couple of, I think it was maybe two or three companies that only wanted to buy one, which I don't like doing if I'm honest. So, and then yeah, no, it's, and my manager and I had a call to catch up before the end of the year. And like our main goal this year is to avoid those because it's it's just not worth the admin time, even if it's at a rate that we want. We just always, I think you always just forget how much admin time ends up going into like, we're, we're chasing a payment for one of them. And I'm like, this is not... <laughs> it's, it's not worth, I, especially my manager's time. I'm like with her percentage, it's not really, it just kind of really, um, is not as fun. So we really want to do longer term. Yeah, exactly. But also I brands that buy one-off things and then they are surprised when there's no performance from it. It's rare for somebody to take action from seeing one ad one time. So for us, you know, especially we're doing a launch next week. 
we do you know how many pieces of content we are doing for this one tiny launch it's not a tiny launch it's a big launch but i mean we've got multiple short form videos we have tons of emails that are going out that are segmented to the extreme like we have so much content because we don't just expect for us to say one time this has launched and there's 20% off that you can use and for all the sales to come flooding in. So it's funny that brands think that that's going to work with influencer marketing. And so, and also it's just, yeah, it it doesn't, no, it doesn't. So this year for sure, we're, we are strictly prioritizing brands are happy to pay for longer term things or packages of content. I love that. Okay, our next income stream that you have on here is going to be AdSense. AdSense makes up 15.5% of your income, which is pretty self-explanatory. Do you do like live streams so you get like super chats or memberships or just straight up just the advertising that happens on the videos? Yep, straight up advertising. Okay, and then the next one you have is affiliates. How have you been able to build your affiliates and who are they? So the main way we make affiliate revenue is from hotel, the big hotel, like not conglomerates, but like OTAs, the booking platforms. So like booking.com and Expedia, that's who we've worked this to that we work with last year and will continue to this year. So that basically is we have just a lot of content. I have a writer who's Uh, In 2022, her main thing was just to write a lot of content about hotels in London. So eight hotels that are great for families and great budget hotels and the hotels that have the best views over the city and best romantic hotels, stuff like that. And then obviously we put our affiliate links in there. And I actually calculated the other day. We very approximate because there's a lot of we we kind of went back and forth on which system we used last year and stuff. So I've had to do some guesstimations, but it looks like we generated 2000 nights of hotel bookings through our affiliate links in 2023. So it works for us. Affiliate for hotel is not great. It's it's between six and eight percent, but it's content that we already have there. So that's the second year we've generated from that. Have you been able to do like brand partnerships because of your affiliate associations? Like, could you go to booking.com and be like, we helped you book 2000 whatevers and we would like to do hotel stays or things to create content or whatever. Like, like, is that part of your strategy and bridging that kind of stuff? So I would love to do that. That for sure, 100% would be great. It has not happened yet. I think that's, it's, it's on my manager's radar. So maybe we will manifest that into our realm this year because yeah, we do so much with them. Hotels directly is very interesting. You, It's very, very rare to find a hotel that will pay for anything from influencers. Even the large chains, like some of the, the large chains will do massive campaigns with massive creators. They generally, though, they're like 95% of their stances will give you one free night or will give you a media rate and then you create content around it, which is obviously not sustainable and doesn't work at the end of the day. Probably also reach, you've reached that phase in your business where you're like, no, I'll just pay. It's fine. Like it's that hourly rate situation. Like I always tell people when like they're trying to figure out what they should invest in or not. It's like, well, what's your hourly rate? Probably make it more than what you just said it was. And then how much would it cost you per hour to have this task done so that you can then, you know, make more money. So like I approach this with things such as like, 
okay, like, like from a personal standpoint, like, okay, how much a house cleaner cost me? Because I work a lot. I have really odd, weird hours. My husband's very busy taking care of our kids who have ADHD and autism. And like, there's just not a lot of time to clean the house because it just gets destroyed over and over and over again. So <laughs> what would the cost be for me to have the house cleaner come in? If it's going to be like, five hours and I have this rate and this is their rate. I'm like, that just makes sense to me to do. And I would think with something like this, like the hours and hours it makes you guys take content when you put your hour on it, like you'll just pay the two fifty for the hotel night and be on your way. Exactly. And then I don't have to do anything. I just get to relax. <laughs> this is a hard thing. I think for people to really embrace, and I think it might be like a millennial toxic trait. Not everything needs to be a side hustle or a way for you to make money. Sometimes things can just be things. I had <laughs> on like a slight tangent, but related to this, it's I think is really funny. I, I I got a cat this year after my dog had passed away, and she's this like rag doll. She's beautiful. She's a whole thing. And I'm like, I'm gonna make her Instagram famous. And I was like, Does you don't? She can just be your cat. She can just do her job to like emotionally support you. She doesn't need to be more. <laughs> <laughs> like it just that reminder to myself like, oh, yeah, everything needs to be a brand or a business <laughs> I know I but I I fall into the same thing too and sometimes I like my friends will be like oh I really love like making these pots I'm like oh my god like you could like make an Instagram account and then sometimes my friends would be like no I just do it for fun I don't want to make it a whole thing I'm like yeah sorry you're right you're right you're right okay <laughs> good for you my cousin with her cricket like she has a cricket and she like this prints for all her business things all the time she makes us shirts whenever we go to things like she makes us these like holiday pillows every year and I'm like I was like you could this is a work or she's like no this is what I do to not work so it <laughs> I totally get it we we need to stop this the people under 40 we need to stop this yeah yeah <laughs> we can have fun without making money it's okay <laughs> um, and then the last one that you have which we have actually never had that approach for which is site advertising so share with us what that is and how it works yeah. So it's just basically, we work with Mediavine and their adverts go onto our website in between like the blog posts and in the sidebars. And then we get money for it. That's the gist of it. So you have a website that you do that also supports what you're doing. Like we didn't even tap that. So could you tell us a little bit about how your website plays into your, your content creation strategy and your money-making strategy? Yes. So the website is where we host a lot of content that really doesn't make sense for us to make in video form. So for example, everything about hotels basically is in written form. So that's where those like articles about best romantic hotels and, and, you know, hotels to have families at and stuff like that. That's where all of that sits. We find that in terms of affiliate stuff. So, so we also do the second biggest driver for affiliate commission for us besides hotels is tour commission. So we also find that the best way for us to insert our affiliate links for tours is also through similar written content because people kind of like take their time to figure out what tours they want to book. Um, they're, the chances of them booking from a video it can happen for sure but people also just like to kind of read that stuff and look through different options click through the links and look at the different options and this and that so yeah the majority of our the website is content like that we also have content that we create that we then are like oh this is you know 10 money saving hacks but also we have this london spending guide that you can create your budget in this Excel template that we give you. And we tell you about what costs you should expect and give you recommendations for budgets and this and that, blah, blah, blah. 
So again, content marketing, we link out to, you know, the freebies that we have that we link to the shop. We get a lot of traffic actually to the shop from people who are on the website. And then it's also just kind of where the things like our work with us page and about us and our mission and that kind of stuff sits on there as well. The idea of taking your content and, and expanding it to a blog is something like, like it's a big, like a business hack that so many creators are not using. Like as a business owner who works with like the normal everyday businesses on a regular basis, like your plumbers, your, your local realtors, like, like those kinds of things. I say them do it all the time. Like you creating video content is like a foundation tool. If you do all of these other things as creators, we're just like, Nope, we got to do YouTube. And then going to make next YouTube. We got to make next YouTube. And maybe, maybe we repurpose a little bit into a short for we put on a, like another channel or whatever. But the, this is where like, the, again, there's not one strategy for every kind of business. And if you're doing something that has pretty heavy handed search part to it, there's a huge group of people that don't want to watch a video. They just want to be able to skim an article to get the hit points of things that they need. And then maybe they would go watch your video for more detail or get more information, but also having them on your website gives them like a home to go access all of your other content, get all of your information. And the most important part, all of your products that are for sale. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Even your YouTube channel is funneling to your website. So just, just do the thing guys do the thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You, you're right though. Actually I meet so many creators who are doing lots of video, which listen, you know, I'm obviously not knocking video, but who then don't have a website. It's always quite interesting to me. Cause I, I think I, I actually, I've always, you know, about 12 years ago I was blogging. So I've always been pretty good with website stuff. And that's always been a big point of no matter what I did, I've always had that as like the home base. And yeah, it's, and especially also if you're doing affiliate programs, a lot of affiliate programs won't allow you to be a part of them unless you have a verified website. So you can't put like your YouTube channel, you have to have an actual website. It's just such a huge thing. And it's so funny that you mentioned the blogging part. I was just talking to one of the reporters over at the information today, and she was telling me that like the creator economy started because of mommy bloggers. Like, and there was just so much crap given to them for like what they were doing. But when we think about like where we are in the creator economy, like they laid the work, they laid the brickwork for us to be able to create content and work with sponsorships and build audiences and use the internet as a way to make money because they needed a way to supplement their family income because they had to stay home and take care of their kids as childcare is really expensive. So I, you know, I think that it is a sorely underlooked thing. This is where that whole idea, like there's not, nothing is dead and there's not one way to do things. And I think that, but, you know, we've had other interviews of different ways that everyone is making money. And that is the whole mission of the funded YouTuber, which is to show you how YouTubers have found ways to make full-time incomes and be financially successful through YouTube and the creator economy in the different ways that they are doing it. And I think that it's huge. And so thank you so much for sharing with us your income journey and what you've been doing. I am dying to know though, what is your next financial money move? Ooh, yeah. So it's definitely launching Paris. So basically replicating what we're doing in London and then doing it in Paris, but without me in it, which is a challenge because we're having to hire even hiring people similar to me in London has been hard. And now we're also then hiring people in Paris. I don't speak French. So there's that aspect of it too. And I've costed out what it's going to 
take this year for us to properly do this and not, you know, half ass it and it's six figures. So that was scary seeing that in the six. I love, I love that your next financial money, like your next money move is you spending money. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. wow. <laughs> and hopefully getting back at some point. <laughs> yes. And I think that's what I'm very curious about why you are choosing to expand into another city. Yeah. So that's the vision I have had for a long time. We, so a lot of people will do London and Paris. So we have always had people asking about help for Paris. I actually think there's even more opportunity for us to create, to have an impact there because the majority of our paying customers are Americans and Paris is challenging for Americans. It's challenging for anybody who doesn't speak French. So we have a lot of people who want to go to Paris and they should because it is a great city and I adore it. But there is a lot of challenges that people hear about and they get nervous about. And obviously everybody wants their trip to go as smoothly as possible, especially if you're from, you know, California and you've flown 10 hours to get there. You spent a lot of money to get there. And you want to have as good of a time as possible without, you know, having any language problems and messing anything up too badly. So I think there's just so much opportunity for us there. And I want to get it before um, anyone else does, <laughs> basically. <laughs> I love it. Well, it's also kind of like the English speaker in Paris kind of a thing. And yeah, I could see there being a lot of stigma, but I think with like the like fame of Emily in Paris, there's like a big draw, especially I think for that like 20 year old crowd and they need help navigating it for sure. I know I am dying to go to Paris to go to this big like ball that they do at Versailles where like it's like it's a whole costume thing. Ooh. They do it in June. I, I found it on TikTok. And so like that's all. Of that's course. All thing. <laughs> but again, anyway, like we're digressing here. I, I'm pretty sure that you and I could keep talking and talking numbers over and over and over again. But I am just so grateful for your time and for you sharing with us your financial journey. Thank you so much, Jessica. We greatly appreciate you. Until next week. Thanks for having me. The Funded YouTuber is brought to you by Gigastar, a parent company of Gigastar Market, an SEC registered funding portal and member of FINRA. Learn more at gigastar.io. Music provided by APM Music, unrivaled music to bring your stories to life. Neither Gigastar nor its affiliated companies provide legal, regulatory, financial, or tax advice. Any opinions expressed herein are those of the authors and are the informational purposes only. The information and opinions expressed herein are subject to change without notice and do not take into account the particular investments, objectives, financial situation or needs of any specific investors.